science enthusiasts, welcome to SciChat. Every week we bring an amazing expert to enthrall you with their area of knowledge. Today, I am thrilled to have Dr. Shelley Volch with us today. Um, we spoke previously on the Science Podcast and uh, the doc is back for round two. We're going to get to some of her groundbreaking research really quickly. After the interview section, we're going to open up the floor to questions from the audience. So without any further ado, welcome to Science Chat. Hello, Doc. How are you doing? This, how are you doing this fine evening? I am doing well. It's uh, just about ready to start cooling off here, but we're still in the definite summer temperatures. How are you all? I'm pretty good. Uh, um, and it, one of my first questions that was on the podcast is, uh, where are you in the world? Where are you calling into the show from? I am in Boise, Idaho. Um, I am lucky enough to live right on the river, right off the Greenbelt. We've got a, a beautiful walking and biking path. Uh, and it's particularly great for me because people are always on there with their dogs. So uh, I get to just kind of watch people go by with their dogs and um, let Lucy sniff the air as dogs pass by. It's, it's really nice. <laughs> and the the irony is when uh, when you mentioned you're from Boise, Idaho, um, I we had talked, uh, my family used to vacation in Sandpoint, Idaho all the time. Yeah. yeah and then we would make trips to Boise. Um, mm. Cause you know, Sandpoint doesn't have a heck of a lot. It's a little tiny kind of touristy town. Boise's mm -hmm. the big place to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's so funny because a lot of people think Boise is this, you know, it's probably going to be this kind of smaller, almost rural environment. You know, when you think Idaho, you think potato farmers and that used to be a running <laughs> gag. Yeah. Um, but in reality, when you come here, it's a thriving little culture, little, it's a, it's a thriving cultural center. It's clearly a campus town with Boise state. Um, and I just, I'm, I'm in love. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so doc, one of the, one of the first questions, just so people get a background bit of knowledge about you, could you talk a little bit about your science training? Okay. So my science training, um, if you've ever seen the meme that says what I think my PhD is going to be, and it's this nice straight line <laughs> and then what it actually is. And it looks like a little kid drew on the page. That's kind of my background. Um, so why actually took some time off after I went to high school, I started college, wasn't so sure about it and then kind of panicked and left. Um, but I spent about 10 years as a dog training and behavior consultant. Um, and so in that time I did a lot of, um, you know, helping other trainers prepare for their certification tests and those different kinds of things. And I was just really, really enjoying it and realized that I am a nerd by heart, so I went back to school, uh, and I originally thought I was going to become the next Patricia McConnell. That was like my goal. Right? Okay. <laughs> um, but through my undergraduate in psychology, I came across a class called Dogs, Cats, and Other Beasts, Anthropology of Animals. I love that. Uh, it sounds I, like something you take at Hogwarts. It's so great. It was such a great <laughs> class. Um, and it introduced me to the fact that there's a lot more you can do working with animals than be a trainer or a vet. And so I ended up doing my master's and PhD in anthropology. Um, and I'm really, I consider myself kind of blessed to be trained as an anthropologist because I can take both qualitative and quantitative mm. um, data and really use that to explore questions in spaces that a lot of times we think if it's not numerical, it's not scientific. But there's a lot of ways you can use qualitative data in very scientific ways. Mm -hmm. So, um, And after that, you know, I'm, I'm a trial by error, trial and error kind of learner. So I just kept, I don't like to be idle. <laughs> I guess I'd be a border collie. Oh, um, if you could be a dog breed, what dog breed would you be? I would be a beagle for sure. Oh, okay. Border collies look dry, but as far as like personality, I think I'm all beagle. Uh um, but anyway, so I, you know, I continue to, to look for, when I have a question, I try to assess what the best methods are to answer that question. And sometimes that means I need to learn new skills. And that's one of the things I love about what I do. Um, if you'd asked me two years ago if I would have learned how to become a biocustician, my answer would have been no. And now I'm, you know, using auditory data to analyze interactions. Now, Doc, did you, were you interested in science when you were a young person? I know you were on this meandering uh, path <laughs> to get to where you are. But when you meander, you come, you know, it's a, quite the adventure. But when you were young, were you, were you drawn to science or was it along the path that you got passionate? 
Um, so when I was when I was really young, you know, when I was probably elementary school and early middle school, I was wholly drawn to science. I was a science Olympiad. Um, I was on oh. math. Mathletes, you were a mathlete? I was a mathlete. Um, I had... <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I don't think I could do pre-calculus if I tried. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was, I was really interested, especially in like the biology and the behavior. And um, I just saw living beings as another thing to figure out how it all works. Yeah. Uh, so I really thought for a long time, I thought I was going to become a veterinarian. And then oh, okay. high school came along and this is, you know, this is the early 1990s to date myself. Um, and I was, you know, live, I'm from that generation of girls aren't good at math. And mm. I had a math teacher who wasn't really supportive of changing that perspective. Oh. And so science kind of went to the sidelines for a long time, um, which is sad because I probably would have gotten to where I am faster if that hadn't happened to me. Mm. But the, the end result is um, I would say that I am now living the life and career that Shelly at 10 years old was dreaming of. Oh, that's so cool that you can go back and and tell your younger self you like the thing that you dream about you're doing. I don't know how yep. many people it can. It took you a while to figure it out. Yeah, I don't know if I could go back and tell my ten year old self that. I don't know. Ten year olds, ten year old me wanted to be an astronaut. Um, yeah. Um, but I I talk about dogs and science all day, which is a pretty good gig, and then I teach kids. So you know that's yeah. that's not bad. I mean. I'll have to have to get a little bit more money to get the space, I guess, but it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always the, like, how is it loosely connected to, right? Mm. Um, I, I think that when I told my mom, I was going to go back to school to work with animals. I don't, she was totally not surprised. Oh, okay. <laughs> so she's, she's like, that's Shelly. <laughs> yeah. She's like, Oh, finally. <laughs> oh, <laughs> So, Doc, can we talk about your current research, um, which is the the clickbaity title of the space? Um, I'm I didn't have enough time, didn't have enough uh, characters to put your name in it. I'm sorry, um, but I think we got some people in here who are like, whoa, because what you're studying, I kind of walked into it on the podcast blind, and I've been thinking about our discussion ever since we talked. Like, no word of the lie. I think about it every single day and I was wondering if you could tell our listeners what your current research is all about. So my team and I and a couple of external collaborators are working on the canine play pant, um, which is science speak for do dogs laugh and what does it sound like? Um, so to give a little bit of background, cause I don't, I want to be sure that I give props to the late Patricia Simonet because she's really where this started. Mm -hmm. Um, in 2001, she presented a paper at the Animal Behavior Society convention or conference um, on some data that she collected and some work she had done looking at this play pant exchange between dogs. It was this very specific type of pant um, structure and rhythm that she only found during play interactions. She didn't see it. I mean, you know, analyzing the data, it didn't exist elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, and she does have a, you know, there is a, an unpublished, or I should say not peer-reviewed published um, paper where she actually used the recordings and played them back in a shelter environment and found that dogs do, in fact, kind of respond to it. They seem to be, you know, perform fewer stress behaviors. They barked less frequently and less loudly. And so... Um, I ended up having a conversation on Twitter of all places. So never discount the networking opportunities on Twitter. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> Twitter, Twitter is so there's people in the space right now that I've, I have would have only networked with because of Twitter. So I feel you. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we got, we started having this conversation on Twitter two years ago. Now um, it was right around the beginning of the pandemic, but uh, we started, you know, a paper had come out looking at rat laughing again and the whole, when you tickle rats, what does their, their play chirp sound like? And I had brought up the Simone work in that, in that conversation. And the response was, oh, well, that's never really been validated though, you know? Um, and so I ended up having conversation with that collaborator and then finding another collaborator. And we started to figure out like, 
what bioacoustic training does Shelly need in order to do this? <laughs> and first of all, because if I can't do it, I can't teach my students to do it. Right. Um, and then how do we actually like start testing this? Because especially with the pandemic, you weren't seeing doggy daycares open as much. There weren't as many people necessarily at the park. It was mm. um, harder to come up with controlled play spaces for dogs. But we were like, well, given everything else that we've co-opted through the domestication process, just maybe this is something that humans can elicit. Um, and oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And there have been a couple of papers that had suggested, like, hey, dogs respond to people when they whisper. They yep. get, you know, and I'm sure some of us have done this where you whisper at your dog and they get really squirrely. <laughs> <laughs> they're, like, actually, they're like, they're uh, like, yeah, the Bunsen and Beaker act completely different when I whisper at them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bunsen is like, what? Like, why? Why would you do that? And Beaker's like, what's going on? This is so what? What's happening? And Bunsen's like, mm, what was that? So. <laughs> so we we started figuring out, you know, what are our variables, the things that we need to try to test and control for and all that. And so now working with bonded pairs of play partners, people and dogs, as well as um, unfamiliar pairs of researchers with shelter dogs. We put wireless microphones on the dog. We put wireless microphone on the person. And then we also video record the interactions. And everybody goes through a series of a little bit of training just to kind of get attention on each other and see if there's a different kind of pant in an attention state. Mm -hmm. And then they play. And then at the end of play, now that they're all kind of worked up from playing, we do a shared rest so that we can get a baseline of what their exertion pant looks like. Right. Uh, but lo and behold, we are uh, increasingly finding that, yes, in fact, Patricia Semenay's data can be validated. And yes, dogs do have this play pant. Um, and now it's just a matter of moving into so what impacts how they pant, when they pant, does it truly serve the same function as laughter? Um, and so we, we kind of gotten to a point where Patricia Semenay left off. And we're ready to start moving forward. With oh, the, that's so with the cool. Studies. That is so yeah. cool. I get, go I got goosebumps all over again <laughs> from you explaining it. Um, it is a bit dangerous to personify hum human emotions on animals, right? So like the whole laughter thing, um, that it's, it's a play pant, but it could be laughter. Um, it's just tough to personify that on a, um, on an animal. Um, yeah. but, um, so, <laughs> How did you, you put wireless mics on the dogs? Like, did they wear a headset? Was it, did they look like telemarketers? Like what's going on? Um, I think that we would have lost the headset. We actually, we almost lost one of the mic packs to a husky at the shelter. Oh, got, so. got he tried to eat it or something? Yeah, he pulled it. He pulled it right off of the, so we usually put them on harnesses. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and we've got, we've got, um, they're outward hound harnesses that there's a lot of mobility so it's not it's not like a no pull harness that's going to restrain how they move their shoulders or anything like that mm. um so we we put a, a light pack on the harness and then we bring the microphone itself around to the front of the harness so we can pick up their vocalizations um and so it's it's kind of funny to watch because some of the dogs are just like yeah whatever and others are so obsessed with this thing that's hanging <laughs> on the front of the harness trying to figure it out they're <laughs> like what um, is it Oh my gosh. It's, it's great. Um, every once in a while we get a dog who gets really like rolly and excited in playing. And then we find, you know, that the mic pack falls off and we have to pause everything <laughs> to get it reattached. And so the process of kind of piloting and figuring out our methodology has definitely been driven by the wide, you know, the, the variety of, of personalities that we've been trying to capture. Chris, I don't know if you can talk, but do you think Bunsen and Beaker would wear a mic pack? I think they would. Oh, they would. 100%. Yeah. But Bunsen would. would. He wouldn't even care what you put on him. He wears like armor and everything. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he would he would be totally down with that. Yeah. He would look so cute. He probably he would wear a headset, I think. You could wear the telemarketer <laughs> <Yeah>. headset. <laughs> Well, if you ever make your way towards Boise, towards Boise, we'll have to make sure that you stop by the lab and we'll mic them up. Oh, that'd be so cute. <laughs> so when you record the dogs, you get audio files, not unlike what I would get for a podcast. 
And you mm-hmm. right? Do you you put it in some kind of like audio program? Do you then do you just listen to dogs panting all day long, or do you run it through some other software? Like, um, I, it would be cute to listening to dogs pant all day long. But. <laughs> um, so we use a software program that was designed by the Ornithology Lab at, at uh, Cornell. Oh, for birds. Mm-hmm. They um, it was originally designed for that. It's called Raven. Oh. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely right. Um, and so we drop in, we drop in the audio file, and because we're recording the human and the dog on two separate mics, yep. we get them on two separate tracks, so yep. we can actually turn on and off who we're listening to. Nice. Because um, at some point, we're going to also be looking at, you know, what kind of vocalizations from the person are eliciting these sounds from the dogs. That's uh, podcasting <laughs> tip one point one, folks. <laughs> If you're interviewing a guest, make sure they're on a separate audio signal, not <laughs> blended together. Yes. <laughs> um, so we, we bring it into Raven and then Raven actually, um, there's various settings that we make sure are accurate and that type of stuff. But ultimately what we get is a waveform. So kind of like you might have gotten in a, a high school science class that just shows the spikes of the, of the, the, the kind of like the volume of the um audio that you're listening to. Mm-hmm. And then we also get what's called a spectrogram, which gives us these variations of color that um, tell us kind of a lot more about the quality, the loudness, so we, we call it amplitude. Um, and the other thing that's nice about the spectrogram is whereas a waveform really only gives us time and amplitude, the waveform also gives us um, frequency. Hmm. And so we're able to really get in there and look at where are these things occurring um, what do they, you know, the intensity of a canine playpan is just this like burst of noise and it stands out. So we'll sit there and we'll scroll through. We start by looking for it from the, the objective, right? We have these things that we've said, these are the, uh, you know, this is how we're operationalizing a playpan and we go through and we look for those events. And then of course we have to narrow down because sometimes a bark or a play growl or something like that might also have a similar spectrogram print. Mm. Um, and so then we'll listen to it too, to make sure that it's actually a pant and not, you know, on the edge of something else. If you're just joining us for SciChat, we are talking um, with Dr. Shelley Volsh about her really cool research into the play pant slash laughter that they found from recording the audio of dogs playing we're doing a little interview and then we'll open up the floor to questions. Um, Doc, when you looked at all of the data and it started, you started to see this pattern. Did everybody lose their mind in the lab? Was it you? Was it one of your students? Did somebody start to see it? Could you walk us through that? How did it feel? Um, so I had, I had a student looking at it at first um, and you know, I had kind of like, this is what we're going to be looking for. And she emailed me and she's like, I think you should really listen to Toldy's audio. And I was like, okay, um, tell me more about what you're seeing. Because in reality, uh, Toldy was one, was this dog, he's a doodle. Uh, and you could hear him panting from across the yard. You could hear him from across <laughs> it's the like yard. like a Bunsen pant. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, we looked at it and Toldy had like a hundred and some odd events of this, of this laughter and like. 10 minutes of audio. Uh, and we, we got really excited because we're like, oh my gosh, like this really is a thing. We're not imagining it. We can, we can quantify that it's not happening during the training. It's not happening during the resting pant. Um, and then we started to actually pair it up with the video and we were finding that almost every single time we had an event of this vocalization, we could look at the video and it was correlated to some sort of play behavior, a play, <laughs> bow, a play slap, tugging a war, um, shaking. You know, we've all seen the dog that shakes the toy and then sits there and bonks it on the ground with a squeaker. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, which let me tell you, squeakers on a microphone are really loud. Oh, <laughs> so we have to be a little careful there. Um, but it's, you know, you, you really do anytime that you do any sort of science, you start with that whole, scientific method, come up with a question, build a hypothesis to test it. And when you start getting the results and you're like, oh my gosh, this hypothesis is proving to be a correct, right? You just, it's, it's exciting and it's, it can be breathtaking sometimes when you look at it. I've actually got Toldy's 
playpen as the desktop uh, of my computer in my office. Ah. Uh, so. so with this, um, are you you're you're of course looking to expand it to other areas, but. One of the big questions that I was thinking about in between our chat w- was, well, rats, when you when you tickle them, they have excitable chirps, like a rat laugh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It looks like it looks like your the dogs have some kind of like laughter play like a play pant as well. Mm-hmm. So that's two mammals, right? Um, is it any stretch of the imagination to believe this is? potentially across all mammals, some mammals. Um, I don't think that that's going to be a stretch. We, we know it's in primates. Um, we know that the great apes, I mean, there's cross species or interspecies laughing. There's a great picture of Jane Goodall with one of the chimps laughing. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's a great paper by Winkler and Bryant that came out, I think it was last year where they did a systematic review of the literature looking at, what animals have some form of laughter or playpan documented, even if it was, you know, a, a couple case studies from a zoo in 1940-something, right? Mm-hmm. And they came up with 65 different animals where oh it's been goodness. at least at least documented as an event, whether or not it's something that's typical of that species or not. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense to me because we know that, you know, part of the part of the evolved purpose of play is teaching us how to function as adults, how to hunt, how to have social interactions and cooperate, those types of things. And mm-hmm. so most play comes with some sort of signal that says, hey, everything after this is just a joke. Oh, right? okay. Or I like what you're doing, keep doing that. And so laughter just, I, I think that when we, when we take off our um, cynical hats, I think we're going to find it's more and more common. I love that. I'm I'm confused if cats laugh because uh, we we have a cat now right mm-hmm. and it is the coolest thing like it she is cool as a cucumber playful uh, mischievous I I wonder if they like when there's no humans around they just you know they just laugh at us they're like those <laughs> those apes are so dumb like <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> There's a part of me that thinks that that cats, you know, to be funny, but that cats are just like aliens waiting for us to all realize they are our overlords. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. This ginger does nothing all day long and she gets love and attention. Absolutely nothing. She does nothing. So I, gr- um, right? I agree. I agree. Yes. Unfortunately, with you being gone at your dad's house, ginger is crazy kitty. Oh, she is up on the counter. She's knocking stuff off. She is a new and improved. Actually, I'm not sure she's new and improved. She's new and different um, for me. Ah, so so I need to be there to calm the cat down. Maybe. Maybe you are a cat whisperer. I don't know. <laughs> Good grief. In the chat, we have some fun uh, comments. I thought I'd just acknowledge it. Paula says she knows her dogs laugh. Um, sometimes Richard says they will bark when they're happy. You probably saw that too, right? Um, oh yeah. 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 Um, dogs have the little grumbly sounds and other internal sounds. I don't, did you find there were some other weird sounds that dogs made when they were playing? There's, there's some, some dogs will do, um, kind of like a warbly sound. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely variations of a growl. There's this thing that's kind of somewhere between a pants and a growl. And we had to be really careful about whether or not we caught, you know, counted those. Hmm. Um, so we, we had a beagle mix. Uh, we lost him about four years ago, but hmm. we would, we would joke because when you'd start tickling him, like he'd give you his belly and he would solicit the tickles and the zerberts and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and he had this like tauntaun sound that he made um, that he, when he was really happy and being in a really playful mood. So. <laughs> um, oh, what's that uh, comedian that does the tauntaun impression? Um He's on Conan O'Brien all the time. He's in the HBO TV show Barry. Uh, oh, what's his name? Anyways, have you heard him do the Tauntaun impression? I have not. Just one second. Tauntaun impression. Are you I'm Googling? Sure it's going to be the first one. It's, he's like famous for. Yeah. He's famous for it. I can't. I don't know. I can't find a Tauntaun impression. Because it's T-A-U-N. 
Yeah. That's how you spell it, not T-O-N-T-O-N. Yeah, Bill Hader. There we go. Okay. Yeah. So your voices you do. Here we go. This should be coming through. Uh, I have noticed over the years. I've been doing this. Uh, been on the air in comedy for 22 years, and I've never met anybody who did a Conan impression. Oh, which yeah, I think I oh, it's a Conan impression. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's coming. I do not eat. That's, That's how you eat. eat. Okay, it's coming. Uh, <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, okay, I failed. This is the wrong one. I failed live, and I'm so sorry about that. Uh, it happens. <laughs> we'll have to. We'll have it's to. It's okay, Jay. Uh, I know. I know. What? Sorry, Jay. I know that dogs laugh because Mother Goose told me, "Hey, diddle, diddle, the cat and the fiddle." The little dog laughed to see such sport. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that holds up under like scientific rigor though, Chris. <laughs> you ask if people know that their dog laughs, and that's how I know. And this is where the this is where the qualitative side of me comes out and says, if there is the you know, we have this this history, this deep history across a lot of cultures of watching animals and kind of trying to, to make the connections between what they do and what we do. Um, and we maybe need a little bit more of that in science. Not to say that we should just throw the scientific method and all that kind of stuff out of the window. Um, but, you know, if, if, the, if the dog was laughing at such sport, maybe there was some sense of the sounds dog makes. Darwin was obsessed with his dogs. He would write home and ask about his dogs before he asked about his own children. <laughs> um, and he has a lot of a lot of things to say about emotional similarities. And um, so, yeah, I, I think that maybe maybe we all need a little bit just just a touch more Darwin in our in our fantasizing or philosophizing about animals. And Jason, maybe a little bit more Mother Goose. Okay. <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> um, that hits home a bit too close for me because uh, I've been staying with my dad the last three days. He just had hip surgery and I'm his support person. And I think I asked Chris, I'm like, how are the dog's doing? Before I was like, how is my son Adam doing? <laughs> I feel terrible now because I'm literally Darwin. <laughs> just like. I'm missing my dog so much. Uh, <laughs> I'm missing Adam too. Um, he just doesn't need to be taken for a walk the same. Yeah. <laughs> so doc, I've got a, one more question and then we're going to, um, we're going to ask our audience to, if they have questions of, for you okay. and you've written um, about the co-evolution of communication in animals during play. And sometimes when they try to seek attention, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. We've been talking about dogs playing, but this is like the evolution of communication. Yeah. So when we think about communication systems, um, a lot of times, you know, we are talking about communications between the same species, like me talking to you or a dog play bowing to another dog. But especially when we're thinking about domesticated species, so much data is coming out now about how domestication has shaped social cognition. It's shaped animals' attention to us. And I think that it's there's something missing if we assume that's a one-way street. Um, we are, in many ways, an adaptive pressure on, these, on all domesticates and probably some of the other wildlife around us, too. So it would make sense to think that they are also... Um, shaping us in some way right mm -hmm. were we were we laughing at our dogs in you know the early days of agriculture i don't know unfortunately we can't go back and ask <laughs> i have this i want to become doctor who and like have a tardis to do all of this historical research um well you are a doctor i'm halfway there right? that's I right you just need to have a multi-dimensional phone booth <laughs> yes <laughs> um but i mean we're moving, you know, there's, there's a whole a movement to think about evolution and domestication as not being the thing that we have done to everything else, hmm. but rather in the process of shaping other species, they're shaping us. Uh, Pat Shipman had an entire book on how we may have outcompeted Neanderthals simply because we had dogs and they did not. Oh, I, 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 that is one of my favorite stories of all time, Doc. Um, oh, I love that story so much that... 
<laughs> we are here because of dogs. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about the importance of horses, um, originally, you know, a lot of places, horses were originally part of just, you know, status and only the elite warriors had horses and those types of things. But they've also been so crucial to our agriculture. Mm -hmm. They've been so crucial to um, the way that we have developed transportation. Same thing with various, you know, different breeds of cattle. Um, And so to think that we somehow have not been shaped in exchange for shaping them, um, just, it's, I don't know, it doesn't seem logical to me, but that's probably because I'm so deep in the literature that I've bought into it already. Um, Oh, I've, I've, I've bought into the, um, the outcome competition of the Neanderthals, like so wholeheartedly, (laughs) um, it's, it's confirmation bias, but it's such a cool story. Mm-hmm. that the the domestication of the dogs allowed early humans to outhunt the right. Neanderthals who were bigger and stronger and maybe smarter than us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, they just didn't have dogs. They just didn't have, <laughs> they didn't have Bunsen and Beaker. There you go. <laughs> um, but then the communication system, of course, is going to come along for the ride because we don't, they don't speak verbal language the way we do. Right. Mm. And so I think that, we all have an inner animal behaviorist in us as part of our evolutionary history of paying attention to the world around us. And I think the fact that we don't engage that as much and we look for, um, I was actually on Twitter earlier with Barbara J. King. She had shared the article about the the cat hitting on the New York times article about the cat hitting on the person because of these interpret, you know, all these efforts to interpret their language into ours. Um, and, you know, just kind of talking about the fact that why, why does it have to be that they learn our language when we are capable of paying attention and learning theirs? <laughs> we got a little bit more at our disposal to, to learn them than them to learn us. Right? Yeah. I never thought of it that way. Just look and listen. Mm-hmm. There's a big, there's a big movement in like animal assisted interventions of learning to ask the animals permission. Do you want, you know, leaving the space open for an animal to disengage from some sort of therapy if they're not comfortable. Mm. And that's best for everybody because we all know that even humans, if you put us in an uncomfortable situation, we're going to act in ways that are not our normal selves. Hmm. And that can sometimes be dangerous. It can sometimes just simply be stressful. Yeah. We have to watch that all the time um, with Bunsen and Beaker when we take them to public events uh, because like they, I guess we don't ask their permission. We just kind of like bring them, uh, but maybe we should. But uh, we were at the TELUS Spark Center for um, science outreach and they were, you know, interacting with the public and, and Chris and I are so cognizant of watching their body language to see, are they done? Are they getting like, is this too much? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I, I, I think a lot of dog owners or pet owners think about, but maybe we should think about more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guarantee you, if I asked Beaker, I was like, Hey Beaker, do you want to go see people? She'd be like, heck yeah. <laughs> I want to see all the people all the time. And I'm going to love them with the, the force of a thousand hurricanes. That's Beaker's yes. answer all the time. <laughs> I think there's something to the idea of like, you know, I ask my dog what I should think of people. Um, Cause Lucy's the same way. She loves people. And if there's a person that she doesn't want to approach or is not so sure about, I listen to that because mm. Generally speaking, she's like my public, you know, she's, she's not Bunsen and Beaker famous, but she's a little bit of a rock star around campus. Uh, Talk, talk a little bit about Lucy. We have just a little bit of time. We normally ask our our guests to talk about their pet. So she's currently holding me down on the couch because I've been gone on campus all day. (laughs) She is a 14 and a half, almost 15 year old pug. So we're starting to go through that phase of like the hearing's not as good. Mm. Sometimes it's selective and sometimes she just literally doesn't hear you. Um, (laughs) She's, you know, she has her her mornings where she's like the old lady barely gets outside to do her thing and then comes back in and sleeps until noon. Um, (laughs) She's she's really, she's really living the retired life. Um, But it's great because, you know, when she gets to, when she does get to go out, she's really excited to see people. She loves going on campus. Um, so you know, I've been hanging out with my dad now for three days and that sounds like his life right now. So <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> he's definitely living the retired life. <laughs> oh. 
she's got this thing now where it's like 11 30 at night she's wide awake and oh. food and, and it's like oh dear honey no <laughs> we're not laying out the smorgasbord before bed <laughs> uh i threw a picture of lucy up into the nest so everybody can see here is some sassy lucy love for you i hope things get better yeah hmm. sassy girl so if you're just joining us, this is Sci Chat, uh, where we bring an amazing expert to talk to us every week. We're at the end of the interview section, so if you have a question for the doc, um, you could throw it into the chat at the bottom right, or you could request to speak. Um, and we, we'll keep things kind of on topic with dogs and play. Uh, um, would, would you be comfortable taking questions in that vein? Absolutely. Okay. So, <clears throat> excuse me. If you have a question for our doc, think about it. You could request the mic to come up um, and then we'll, we'll get to you. Not everybody's going to get to the stage. Chris and I are going to double check your profiles because we have control of who comes up and who doesn't. Um, so if you have a question for uh, the, the doctor about the research, then go ahead. I'll double check through. Um, I'm going to double check through the, the chat to see if there's any questions there. Um, Indra, our partner at the positivity vibe tribe says, I've definitely heard dolphins laugh. So I think that's probably one of the species that definitely has been proven to, to laugh. They play a lot. Oh yeah. And they actually, their language, their actual like click language has syntax very similar to human click languages. So it doesn't surprise me. I'm actually, so I'm looking at Michelle. Uh, Michelle Renee's got a comment here. I hope you don't mind that. I no, you're doing better than me. I'm sorry. <laughs> she says, if I tickle under Ollie's chin or belly, he does his pant and makes these little ah, ah, ah noises. I can't explain. Um, I could tell you more than type. So Michelle, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. So I'm going to suspect that the play, that pant you're hearing is a <laughs> sound. Um, because that's basically what the play pant is. It's this like forced, breathy, out of rhythm pant that comes up when they're when they're playing or being tickled. Um, <laughs> that's definitely they do respond like to the, the loin tickling right back by the waist is a big one. Oh my goodness! We'll have to try that on a Bunsen and Beaker. And by the way, if you all want, if anybody in the audience wants to post like videos with audio trying to capture their dog laughing and at me on Twitter, I am all for that. <laughs> that is cool. We should do, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. One second. <clears throat> we should do, Chris, we should do a post and see if people can um, make like a big thread of dogs, uh, tickling their dogs or playing with their dogs and getting the audio. Yeah, that would be amazing. That'd be awesome. Uh, Cece, you have a question. Go ahead. Yeah. Thanks for this really fascinating, fascinating talk, Doc. Um, and thanks so much, Jason and Chris, for hosting. Um, I have a quick question, which is, um, is, are there like particular sounds that dogs make when they're like doing something they love? So like, for example, like a service dog who's like out, like super, super happy to be helping their human or like a dog who's just like on cloud nine. Does like that have a specific sound or just like the playpan? You know, I actually don't know if there's a lot of literature, if anybody's looked at that specifically. Um, if it's something particularly joyful related to play, I would almost guarantee there's some variant of the play. Well, okay, I shouldn't say guarantee, but I would suspect there's some variant of a play pant. Um, and I also think that, you know, when dogs are happy and joyful, sometimes their personality comes through too, depending on the type of vocalizer they are. Um, so for example, Basenjis are known for kind of warbling and yodeling, and that will start to come out when they're, when they're really excited or enjoying what they're doing. Um, different types of, different types of barks, different types of whimpers tend to come out when they're enjoying things. But part of the, part of it too, is when they're just in a contented, happy state, they're just chilling and relaxed. Um, they may not vocalize at all, but what you do see is this lack of tension in their body. Um, you know, in training, we always said that a tense dog is one to be cautious of and give space, whereas a, a loose, wiggly dog is really content and happy with what's going on. And, you know, not all dogs are, are particularly vocal, but you can still pay a lot of attention to other language type cues they're sending. Cool. Thanks. Sure. Thanks for asking. 
So we have a, a really winning comment from Block. Block Muse says, uh, do dogs like poetry, especially William Shakespeare? Ah, but don't. <laughs> <laughs> so we had another speaker that's trying to connect. I don't know if they're going to be able to connect. It's uh, no, they've dropped off. Maybe they're on desktop. That would be that would be sissy. She was trying to connect. Um, I'm just checking through the chat. I don't know if there's any more questions. Um, so one more time to the audience. We've got lots of people here. Is there any any questions that you would have about the doctor's research? Dogs and play, the play pant. Go ahead. Now is your chance. Um, Paula's coming up. Oh, there we go. We just had to ask one more time. Chris, do you have any questions? I know you're just chilling at Staples waiting for Adam. Maybe you're driving now. Okay, well, not. All right, go ahead, Paula. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Hi, how's everybody doing tonight? Oh, this is fascinating. Thank you so much, um, doctor, for coming on today. This is this is neat. I have uh, Russell Griffons, but I have one. She um, She's a talker. She talks. I have mm-hmm. never seen a dog talk. Have you had dogs that go like... <laughs> oh yeah and she wants to eat or something or if she wants something she goes, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean i don't mean to be doing this on the on twitter here but but i mean i can't mimic the dog without cracking up laughing but she, her name is rose she's a foodaholic but she's happy all the time i she does that panting thing that you said but she does smile i i'll post a picture in the chat this dog is incredible but we've never had a dog that actually talks so have you done any studying with dogs that actually are more vocal and kind of have this yodely, happy talk bark? I haven't, I haven't outwardly looked for it. Um, it does pop up occasionally because, like I said, dogs all have variations in their personality and their communication style. I know what you're talking about because Lucy will do it when I come home from work. She gets like she gets the zoomies and then she comes up to me and she starts going, rawr, 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 kind of a sound. <laughs> And by the way, uh, Paula, you are among friends making doggy sounds. Don't worry. Um, but, you know, there there are, God, I, that would be a great, maybe that'll be my next thing after we finish the play pant work. Um, it's just looking at the different ways that dogs communicate and the noises that they make. Um, I've seen a lot of the husky stuff that's out there and a lot of huskies who will bark back and, I mean, this is anthropomorphizing, but I really think that dogs do talk back to us sometimes. And I am probably, I think that it's a good thing they don't speak English. We might not want to know what they say sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely variations of warbles. There are dogs who seem to have efforts in communicating. And again, you know, we, we, we think that somehow dogs are not continuing to evolve and change in our environments, but... If they, the more time they spend in our homes, the more that they're going to try to pick up and participate in these lines of interaction that we naturally create in this space. Oh, well, thank you very much. I Like I said, um, and you have pugs and, and Brussels Griffons have yep. pugs in them in your lineage. So yep. we might be we might be parallel sisters here with their <laughs> dogs. Because when you were doing that, that was exactly what she sounds like. Yep. <laughs> so thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Hi, Sissy. I was just muting your mic uh, because there's some background noise. Um, go ahead with oh, your question. Oh, I'm so sorry. I no. didn't know my mic was on. I, no, that's okay. I had to bring my parents' dog outside to try to flee her. <laughs> and I, I must have hit the microphone. I apologize. No, it's okay. I didn't want to interrupt the, the, the conversation. But go ahead with your question for gotcha. our guest. Okay, well, you know what? I just came in towards the end. I apologize. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while for a good laugh and just some interesting conversation. Um, not laughing at the subject, but just hearing other people uh, speak. Um, I was just wondering, my parents have a little chihuahua. She's six pounds. She thinks she's a German shepherd, a canine with the police department. <laughs> but um, but uh, my dad recently passed about a week and a half ago, and um, her eyes are filled with tears. Uh, she'll throw herself against the couch. Uh, she wants to be on my lap at all times now. Uh, she was with him up until he passed. Mm. and slain on top of him. So I didn't know. I forgot to ask the vet yesterday. Uh, he surprisingly came out and said we took her blood pressure, her heart medication's okay. 
as weird as that sounds, she has the same thing as my mom, irregular heartbeat. And so hmm. she needs surgery, but the doctor, because of her heart condition and her only being six pounds, doesn't want to perform the two big cysts she has on her stomach. But I forgot to ask him, hey, what can I do other than, you know, taking for her walks and taking her for drives and spending time with her? I see her eyes just constantly filled with tears and obviously animals don't speak. So all I can do is just continue to grab her and hug her and play with her. But I didn't know if you had any other suggestions as well, because she she's having a hard time as as well as my mom and I with the death of my father. Yeah. Hmm. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, thank you. Yeah. So we do, I mean, to think that animals can't grieve is, to me, I think that we're, we should be past the point of asking that question. Mm -hmm. Um, Barbara J. King has a great book called How Animals Grieve. Um, She's got a wonderful TED Talk that dives into it as well. And, you know, grieving, um, from an evolutionary perspective, grieving is a fairly natural process because you've lost this member of your social group. Whether it's your dog, your person, your whatever, you know, anything that anyone that you've connected as part of that social group is now missing. And that's really hard because that's part of our support systems is being with those social others. Um, and so anything that you can do that kind of temporarily distracts, like you said, going for walks, um, but also at the same time giving <sighs> It sounds so trite, and before I had to go through the grieving process, I'd be like, oh, that's just such bad advice, but it really is about time sometimes, um, and just building on the moments of joy as they come, and, and having the time to heal, and this kind of new normal that comes after grieving just needs to settle in, but, um, you know, keep working with her vet as far as, as, far as the heart condition and things go. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Her, she took her- medication. Yeah. She takes medication in the morning and at night. And oh when when I went to a new pharmacy, they're like something about chicken. And I said, okay, so you know, I, I don't know how sometimes you talk to dogs and they understand you. I'm like, do you want some chicken? And she gets all excited and she sucks it up out of the syringe. Or I'll yeah. say, like, do you want to go for a walkie? A word I've never used. And she's all excited. Or we leave the vet. And it's literally two blocks from Redondo Beach Pier. Um, I don't like that. I mean, Redondo Beach Ocean, I don't like that beach because you can only walk on the sidewalk off a of busy street, not on the bike path, and you cannot step one foot on um, the sand. As a matter of fact, the Redondo Beach police were called and they kicked uh, the dog whisperer and his crew of dogs. He was walking off leash oh on the beach pier and told them, don't ever come back here again. So I don't, I don't take her to that beach, but the vet is literally small blocks from there. And one day I'm like, do you want to go to the beach? Got up on the passenger seat, looked out the window, and I'm like, you've never, wait, what? You just understood what I said? <laughs> so I pulled over, and we went for a walk on the sidewalk for a little bit. And, of course, all these seniors were out there um, on the park benches looking at the ocean way away from the water. And they're like, that dog's so cute. I'm like, uh-huh. it belonged to my brother's. Um, my brother and his two little girls, he lived in an apartment. He always traveled. So he's like, here, you guys want a dog? Well, she was half the size when they got her four years ago, and she's only six pounds now. <laughs> <laughs> but she thinks that she's a canine working for the police department. I, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I live in a close, a, clo- a small closed-off street, and she's looking out at the corner across the street, and UPS, FedEx, Target, Amazon, it doesn't matter. She's standing on me doing 360s. I'm like, could you go somewhere else and bark or, or <laughs> don't have to jump up on my lap to pretend you're a big dog just you know you see the drivers they're going down the streets just let them do their job and then when they come to the door she can't you know she can't wait to see them and greet them and you're like oh make up your mind (laughs) and um, sometimes i'm sorry go ahead no i'm sorry go ahead well i was just gonna say sometimes it, it may not even be that they know the words we're saying um but there may be i mean dogs are incredibly good at picking up on small things that we do. I think they're watching us all the time. Little things that we do, scent cues that might be coming up with changes in hormone levels and mood. Um, little things that might happen when we're thinking about, oh, do you want to go, you know, maybe she's never heard been to the beach before, but she might have heard something in your voice that sounded novel and exciting. And so it was well, a okay. different thing. Um, That's funny. They can cue in on those kinds of things and it will definitely make it look like they're learning all of our words. Oh, okay. It's not to say that 
sure that there aren't words they do pick up on and learn and hang on to. I'm pretty sure that if you know, Jay went over to, to Bunsen and Beaker and pulled out a leash and said the W word, they're going to go crazy. Yeah, yeah. Beaker, Beaker loses her <laughs> loses her dang mind when I say Oh, walk. gosh, how funny. <laughs> um, and there's definitely... Go no, go ahead. Oh, I was just to say, there's definitely, there's definitely words that <clears throat> Lucy is cued in on. They, they learn to associate. And so sometimes they're listening very closely to us. Because okay. what they hear is like the Charlie Brown teacher, and then they're yeah, there you for go. that word they know. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. Well, I will tell you, Hermosa Beach is a very friendly um, a dog beach. They closed off the parking to where it's walking. They brought the restaurants out into more of a patio thing way before COVID. And they even put uh, snacks and water for the people as they're walking to the pier. And um, it's just really, really a cool beach to go down. And I love it so much. I named my rescue cat that I lost four years ago, Hermosa, because I love Hermosa so much. But, um, yeah, I, I um, wanted to ask you again, what is the name of that book you were talking about that someone wrote about dogs and grief? Um, it's called How Animals Grieve. And okay. she goes through a, a wide variety of different species. Interesting. I just drove by Barnes & Noble in Florence um, earlier. Maybe I can just go down and, and check it out and see if they have it or maybe if they don't to um, order it for me. So I appreciate you telling me. If, sure. About that. So, sure. Uh, it, you know, for, for people that have never experienced this with the loss of a family, I do know my mom worked at a very expensive senior living facility, a three-story apartment complex where it used to be $7,000 for a studio. And a lot of these people, family members, just throw them in and leave them there. Mm-hmm. But then what happens is when they wind up passing, nobody wants their animals. Yeah. So one of my mom's former co-workers um, took one of the dogs. Otherwise, they didn't know what to do with it. So I was like, wow, really? You're, you're dealing with the death in the family and nobody wants the cat or the dog? I mean, mm-hmm. really? You're going to take it to a shelter? That's that's horrible. So, and that's a heartbreaking case when you see in the shelter. Because oh, of not course. only have they lost their, their social anchor, but now they're in an environment that's... Mm-hmm. Smells yeah, that's scary as yeah. well. We we had uh, Melanie the pup mummy um, a couple weeks ago, and she she had uh, she did caution that as people become elderly, they have to. One of the things you should think about above and beyond your belongings and what you're going to will to people financially is if you have pets. Yeah. Um, so yes. she made a really good point on that. Um, Sissy, thank Definitely. you so much for your question okay. to the doc. Thank you so much to the speakers and to you. I, I look forward to these and I caught the tail end of it. I'm like, man, I just really need a good laugh. And I haven't seen one of these in a long time. When the heck is he going to have his next one? And I just grabbed my phone and I went, oh, and then I heard, okay, we're towards the end. I'm like, no, that's okay. Let me grab my headphones and let me go outside. And I want to hear what you guys have to say. So thank you for letting me speak. Thank you for sharing your group. And thank you for taking the time to um, talk to me, your, your guest speaker. You guys yeah. have a good rest of your week. You too. Thank, thank you. you. Awesome. And uh, Chris, the co-hostess with the Moses, I saw you found um, that book. So the How Animals Grieve is up in the nest. So there's a link to it up in the nest. Um, some folks have been talking in the chat. I haven't, I've been trying to uh, go through it. Um, I do have a response to Block. Block was uh, asking like, do dogs like poetry? And, and Block, I'm going to say, I'm going to say dogs generally probably like um, like fiction more like um, there's a really good story called the handmaid's tale by Margaret Atwoof. Maybe you've heard of that one and sure bark homes uh, by Arthur canine Doyle. So there's lots of really good stories that dogs like um, there's a really famous ballad. I think it's Norse or something called Beowulf. Um, and then if you're into some political stuff, uh, Carl Barks wrote some really good stuff about economics or how, you know, there's like the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. I don't know if that's that guy. I don't teach high school. Uh, now I have this image of a Carl Marx like squeaky toy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, who can who who would forget Virginia Woolf, right? Oh, yes, that's, you know. One of my favorites. Yeah, I, I do believe there's some great work by John Steinbark as well. Um, and if you're into fantasy block, there's, of course, uh, a great fantasy series about young dog wizards by J.K. Rowling. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyways. Um, we're, we're in, co- in all honesty, 
Disney dogs do love to be read to. So if you live a ho- home alone or don't care if people think you're nuts, reading out loud to your dog once in a while can be actually really, really good for them. Uh, yeah, um, that's what I did with the dogs when yeah. I read for uh, Ukraine, the storybooks for Ukraine. The proceeds went uh, to the Canadian Red Cross. But um, as part of my readathon, I picked up some picture books and I read them to the dogs and they, they liked the dog, the, the dog stories where there was dogs featured. They really liked those. And <laughs> just really liked the light that came glinted off the pages. Cause she has a high pay, prey drive. So in some of the videos, she's a bit of a, a loose cannon and Bunsen's like, I'll just lay here. Cause that's <laughs> what I like to do. <laughs> Dr. Mar- Molly Carjun just uh, put in the chat that she puts on audiobooks for the dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I the, I know that there are people who do really well by leaving like the dog park videos on for their dogs when they're at work and stuff. Mm. Um, but like some dogs, especially now in today's world, there's so many 4K high def TVs. Um, when I was a trainer, I actually was working with somebody whose boxer had knocked the TV off the wall because they got so excited about the animal that was on TV. So I, I highly <laughs> recommend audio stimulation instead of visual stimulation for that reason. You know, what's funny is people always ask us how Bunsen and Beaker react to dogs on TV. And I don't think Bunsen really knows that TV exists. Like <laughs> he is, it's just like it's, he's blind to it. But Beaker, when things are on TV that a dog would like to watch, she is intently watching TV. She sit on, she'll sit on the couch with you and cuddle and watch watch the show if it's like, you know, if she's interested. Like I binge watched um, the very excellent TV show on Netflix, um, Sandman. Have you seen that yet, Doc? Oh my gosh! Is, yes. Have you seen it? It's so good. Oh, it's so good. Um, I recommended enough. Yeah. So guess which episode Beaker cared about? The bonus episode about the cats. There's like, there's an, I believe it. Yeah. She was like, whoa, cats. Um, and then the Raven, the Sandman has a Raven. She was like, Ooh, I want to kill that or eat it or something. So, um, and when there's dogs on TV, Beaker watches the dogs. We watched uh, oddball again and she was just, couldn't get enough of oddball and the penguin. So it's really, it's really funny. (laughs) What about your, what about your dog doc? So we watch a lot of foreign TV, and now I'm going to out myself here. Oh, we watch a lot of we watch a lot of anime. Oh, really? <laughs> and we watch it subtitled. So between the, <laughs> the chatty sounds of you know the the Japanese voiceover, and then the motion, the very color blocked motion of a lot of the scenes, mm-hmm. she will she will sit there. She loves to watch anime. <laughs> um, if we're watching, if we're watching something like, you know, when Game of Thrones was still on that kind of stuff, she could care less. She sleeps through it. She doesn't care about the dragons. <laughs> the other thing that she really loves is there was that dinosaur series that was on Apple TV recently mm. with David Attenborough. And she's got this thing about dinosaurs. That's great. Cause she'll bark at them. But then when they zoom in on the face, she's like, Oh, I'm going to stop now. <laughs> from far away, from far away, they not too scary, but up close, they're like, wait a sec. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, that might be bigger than me after all. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's very cool. I'm, um, our son, Adam, he likes to watch anime. Um, so he'll be happy to hear that. I tried to get into it. Like, uh, I teach high school kids, right? And, uh, mm-hmm. like it's very popular with like a large percentage of kids. It's not a small thing. And they're mm-hmm. always like pitching me shows to watch. They're like, you need to watch this show. You need to watch. I did watch attack on Titan. I think that's what, a pretty famous one. Um, yeah. So I did. That's something I did watch. Chris, what's going on? Well, I just was going to say that Bunsen really liked Planet Earth with the red crabs. Really? Oh. Yeah, he watched that. He watched the red crabs? Yeah, they're like, like, and then he was like really interested in watching them move what? on the screen. I know. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. <laughs> Dr. Mar- Molly Carjun says, try Death Note. Is that a good one, Doc? Death Note is a great one. Okay. All right. We got two doctors who are recommending <laughs> watching Death Note. <laughs> There's also oh, Gia's clapping. Watching. I know Gia. Gia is clapping like crazy. So we got some, we got some, Gia's, Gia's uh, giving some love for Death Note. I've heard of that one. 
<laughs> I'll, I'll also pitch an older one. Mm. Um, there's one called Wolf's Rain, and it's it's got a little bit of a sad plot line, but the individuals in the story are kind of like werewolves in the sense they go back and forth from human to wolf. <laughs> Um, but the way they animated the, the scenes when they're wolves is just really well done. So the, the dog scientist in me would recommend Wolf's Rain. Okay. Um, there's a couple more people with questions. Do you have another five yeah. minutes, Doc? Absolutely. You do? Okay. So we'll bring, we'll bring up um, Tracy and then Mech. So we'll go to Tracy first. Tracy, did you have a question or comment? I know it takes a bit to go. Go ahead, Tracy. Um, hi. Hello. Um, so you're talking about like, uh, shows that have like, you like changed them to dog names. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so I put in the comments, Game of Bones. Okay. And, um, I wasn't really, I'm not really into anime either, but Death Note is the one that I did hear of. So that one I can actually like vouch for if I was going to watch it. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Tracy. Game of Bones. We've used that one before when I've dressed Bunsen and Beaker in their battle armor. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, go ahead, Mech. Do you have a question or comment? Mech has yeah. been vexed. Hi. Hi. Hi there. So uh, I just wanted to add kind of the reverse of it. Um, we actually like to watch the dog shows a lot and that green... Um, carpeting that they use was really attractant for our one of our cats and he didn't quite pull the box removed but he literally <laughs> sat up like a i don't know like a meerkat for a while and watched and he would i could tell he was watching the dogs move but it was really there was something about that green that really attracted him and um he got to the point where he put his feet up on the tv uh, cabinet to got, like get closer to the TV. He certainly didn't do a boxer move on it and knock it over, but uh, but it was pretty funny. I I always want to just turn that on for him to entertain him. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. talk. I don't know as much. I know that cats' visual system is more acute than dogs. It's not quite as strong as ours. Um, but there are some like where dogs are very scent oriented and we're very visual cats are somewhere in between. Hmm. Um, but because you know because they're obligate hunters in the in their natural kind of natural space, right? It's the reason that we give them play toys that are pretend to be um, prey animals and these kinds of things. Um, They definitely have a very strong, like, motion sense. The green thing, though, I don't know about that. I'll have to ask Michael Delgado what she thinks. (laughs) Well, dogs are blue-green, colorblind, right? Uh, red, 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 sorry, red, green. Yeah. Sorry. They see blue. They see, they see sort of kind of see purples. They see yellows really well. I was actually telling my students this morning during our, our first like real deep lecture from the semester, um, how ironic it is that dogs are red, green, colorblind. And then we have all these red toys that we throw in in the the green green grass. grass. (laughs) Of course they can't find the Frisbee. (laughs) It's the same freaking color. (laughs) Poor dog. Well, they could probably smell it. They're probably smelling it from your hand. I bet. Probably. Yeah. Well, um, enough of their slobber. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think, I think we'll round up the space. Uh, we started with something pretty profound. And then as these live chats go, we wound up talking about anime and, um, <laughs> how our dogs watch television, which is great. Um, doc, thank you so much for being our guest tonight for science chat and talking about your absolutely amazing and groundbreaking research about the play pant. And I know you you. did a great job of explaining that you're building on what other sciences scientists have started, but I think what you're continuing with is so cool. So thank you for being our guest tonight. Thank Thank you. you I do want to, if I can just really quick, to shout out for my, my students, both grad and undergrad students who've been amazingly important to making, you know, data collection on that project. Um, and then my collaborators, some of you may know, Alexander Horowitz is one of them. And then Holly Root Gutteridge, um, she's done a lot of work with various canines and bioacoustics. And so if it wasn't for Holly, I wouldn't know how to read a spectrogram. <laughs> so, throw that out there. I got to always do the acknowledgments. That is great. Thank you. And everybody, make sure you give um, the doc a follow. If you're not following doc- the doctor that's our guest tonight, just click on her profile and give give her a follow. 
We'll get you some more followers tonight. How's that sound? Sounds good. And I look forward to those videos of dogs laughing. At okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll plan something. <laughs> We've got two big things that uh, Chris and I have to plan. Um, social media wise. And that's, that's now a new one. So that's great. That's awesome. That'll awesome. give us something, something to shoot for. Awesome. Okay. Uh, are you only on Twitter? Is there any place else that people could follow you? I'm really only on Twitter okay. and LinkedIn. If you happen to be on LinkedIn, you can follow <laughs> me there, but I'm most active on Twitter because it's, it's it seems to be where all of the academic and scientists are. So it's I'm here. so cool here for <laughs> science. We love it. Yeah. All right. We'll wrap up. Thanks so much to our guest tonight, Dr. Shelley Volsh, who talked to us about her amazing research of the playpant and if dogs actually laugh and it looks like they do. Thank you so much for to the speakers who came up to chat and to all of you listeners. Thank you so much for being in our SciChat space. Um, I want to give a plug to our amazing partner, Indra Bartolona. If you look up in the nest, Indra runs these really cool spaces all about positivity um, if you need to pick me up, please check out Indra's Spaces. Indra's this awesome person. You can see her profile picture, and it's up in the nest there. We have two really cool things to announce that are coming very, very shortly. Chris and I worked all summer and really hard the last couple days. Text from Bunsen is done. The ebook that started as the book that started as just like this far off goal it's done um so people who have pre-ordered it you're gonna get it probably by the end of this week and then there will be a link for everybody else to pick up the text from bunsen ebook and it is it's got hundreds of texts from bunsen they are all done in this really cool format that's very very professional and there are literally dozens uh more than dozens of super cool easter eggs and special slides um, so we can't wait to launch the ebook text from Bunsen and, uh, there, there'll be something really cool coming next week about something that we've been working on all summer called the paw pack community. So we'll talk more about that in another space. This Saturday is pet chat. We're going to be talking as we always do about Bunsen and Beaker playing games. There'll be prizes. And, uh, our guest next week is, um, somebody that studies, parasites in pets so we're going to talk about things that live in their poop <laughs> okay uh anything to add chris before we shut down you might be driving i was i was gonna add red green when you guys were talking about red green i know if women don't find you handsome they should at least find you handy yeah i think only canadians are gonna get that joke chris okay but it's out there i know red green is a very <laughs> famous canadian comedian if the women don't find you handy or handsome, at least they'll find you handy. You had a huge show in Canada. <laughs> Fixed everything yes. with duct tape. Duct tape. That's Wisconsin cool. must be yes. close enough to Canada because I actually remember watching that growing up. You watch Red Green? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. We, okay. Chris, we met Red Green in Costco. We did. In Costco. He signed his book. I know. Red Green. Crazy. What the heck? I anyway, can't... That's, just what, what? that's just what I was going to add. I can't believe people are still listening to this. This is like the preamble after we were supposed to stop. But because your music is done. Oh, yeah. My music is done. OK, well, OK, <laughs> we'll see everybody on Saturday. Thanks again for being our guest, Doc. And uh, tag yeah, us if you do. need any tag us if you need anything augmented by our account. I will do that. Okay. I'm sure there will be surveys coming up from my grad students anytime now. We love <laughs> we love a good survey and people love doing a good survey that follow us. So you awesome. you send us that way. You'll have more answers than you can shake a stick at. Wow. <laughs> okay, take care, take care, everybody. We'll see you on Saturday for Pet Chat.